Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. You know, they say Rome wasn't built in a day. Uh, the Colosseum took, uh, I think, two decades to build. We see these places all over the world. You think about the Taj Mahal, took 22 years to build that. The Great Wall of China, uh, 2,300 years to be, build the Great Wall of China. And for First West to go through the book of 1 Corinthians, 37 weeks. You know, if we average out uh, a sermon being 30 minutes long, no comments on that. That's over 18 hours that we have spent in this book, uh, mining it for what God says about himself, about what it says about us, and how to live out the Christian life. And today we come to the end, the very last part of this book. And I'm excited to do so. It has been an incredible journey. Uh, I'm also excited about what's next. I'll just tell you, next week we start what I think I might be more expectant and excited about what God has for us in preaching over the next seven weeks than any series we've ever done. Next week, we're going to begin a journey through the issue of forgiveness, understanding our forgiveness before God, understanding our forgiveness among one another, understanding the importance of forgiveness of ourself. I'm just going to tell you, this is going to be a great series for us coming ahead in the, in the weeks ahead. It's going to be especially good for you to invite somebody that you know is dealing with unforgiveness and bitterness in their life. And I'm very expectant of what God's going to do in our lives individually, in our church, as we mine deeply what it means to experience total forgiveness in our lives. But today, we wrap up chapter 16. And we get to hear, in many ways, Paul's last words in this letter. His last words. When we think about last words or last things. Oftentimes we think about that person laying on their deathbed, knowing that in just a moment they're going to depart from this world into eternity. And that last few nuggets of truth or requests, whatever it is that they make. But in reality, uh, we spend our life sharing last things. You say, Michael, what do you mean by that? Well, for instance, here with Paul, he's going to give them a few last minute things here before he wraps up this letter, but he's going to write to them again. In the same way, in the rhythm of our life, we find ourselves in moments where we're giving someone as we're about to walk out the door, hey, a couple of the last things we want you to remember. Like, like for instance, when, when you take your child and for the very first time you leave them with your parents. Now somehow you forget that your parents have a little bit of experience, right? They raised you, right? But you leave your child and you're like, oh yeah, before we go, listen, keep your eye on them at all times. Don't let them get out of your sight. If you go anywhere, make sure he goes to the bathroom before you leave, Right? And if for some weird reason you have to go to the doctor, I want you to write down everything the doctor says because I want to know exactly what was said. Right? You're giving them a couple last things. The reality is the cycle of life. In one season of your life, you have your parents taking care of your kids, but there's another season where your kids take care of your parents, right? Are you with me in that? Right? As your parents are aging and, and they're needing a little bit of help, and so you ask your child, hey, I want you to go hang out with grandma and grandpa. Hey, and a couple of last things. I want you to keep your eye on them at all times. <laughs> Don't let them get out of your sight. If you go anywhere, 
Make sure they go to the bathroom before you leave. <laughs> All right, and third, if for some reason you have to go to the doctor, write down everything they say. Because grandma and grandpa may not remember, right? I'm totally joking by that. But it is true. There are last-minute things that we give, right? Whether maybe that's dropping off a child at college. Hey, don't forget your first love is Jesus. Stay committed to your schoolwork. Don't, don't have so much fun that you, you forget that you're there to get a quality education. Man, make smart decisions while you're here, right? It's it's last things you're given before you leave. And so naturally, as Paul is going to wrap, wrap up this letter today, we're going to see that he's going to give them some important last things. Really, there's going to be two main observations we're going to see here that I believe we can walk out of here and be encouraged with today. I want to invite you to stand as we do every week to honor the reading, the authority of God's word. We're going to begin today in chapter 16, verse 13, we'll go to the end of the book. The Apostle Paul writes, be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. Brothers and sisters, you know the household of Stephanus. They are the first fruits of Achaia and have devoted themselves to serving the saints. I urge you also to submit to such people, to everyone who works and labors with them. I am delighted to have Stephanos, Fortunatus, and Achaicus present because these men have made up for your absence. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, recognize such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla send you greetings warmly in the Lord along with the church that meets in their home. All the brothers and sisters send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, today we offer this time to you with an open heart, with an open mind, and a receptive spirit, God, for what it is you have for us today from your word. We pray, Spirit of God, that you would be at work in us in such a way that your word, which is living and active, it transforms the way that we live our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for the hope of the gospel, the hope that is found in your death, burial, and resurrection. And knowing that it is in you, it is in the gospel. It is the only thing that can empower us to live in the way in which Paul is going to call us to live today. So we give ourselves to you today. In Christ's name, and God's people said... Amen. And may God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. A few last things that he's going to give us today. And in fact, we're going to go a little out of order for some of you type A OCD people. It will be okay. All right. It will be okay. But I, I want us to really conclude the letter before we pull the observations out. If you look with me in verse 10, I'm sorry, not verse 10, verse 19, we see here where he makes this turn. And this really is kind of the classical ending that Paul would give to almost every single one of his letters. It's the classical ending that you would find uh, in a lot of writing that would happen in that day. Specifically, writing that would happen with using a scribe. Right? This would be the person to which a person would vocally dictate what they desired to be written. Then you had the person who was simply there writing down everything that was said. And that's exactly how Paul penned this letter to the church in Corinth. 
And so he begins in verse 19 of simply saying, passing on some greetings. And I think it's a good takeaway for us to see the significance of the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that not just in different cities, but in different regions, in different countries, right? There is a camaraderie, there is a familial relationship that is found because of the gospel. So the churches send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla, these were tent makers that Paul co-labored with in making tents in Corinth. And they came to faith in Christ through Paul's ministry. So the church would have known Aquila and Priscilla. So it makes sense that Paul would reference them. They send you greetings, but not just them, the church that meets in their home, all the people in their home. They're sending you greetings. All the brothers and sisters send you greetings, right? So we see the the heartfelt relationship that takes place. And then he says there, greet one another with a holy kiss. I'm not going to give any commentary on that. Take it for what you will. I'm just kidding. I will a little bit. All right, some of you got real nervous. All right. This was a contextual cultural greeting. All right. So today we would say greet each other with a holy fist bump, right? Holy man hug, handshake, hug, whatever it looks like, right? He's just calling for that sense of of relationship, intimacy, and care among, as he has called them over and over again in this letter, brothers and sisters, the beloved brethren, the family of God. And then verse 21 is where we see that Paul takes the pen, actual pen, in his hand, and he says, this is in my own hand, Paul. In fact, in the book of Galatians, I believe it's Galatians, the end, he's going to say, see what large letters I write to you with. There was a significant difference in how the scribe had been writing to how Paul was now writing, but this was a validation of all that had been said. Some even believe that in this time there were already letters that were going out to churches that were being attributed to Paul when Paul had not written them. So this was a way for him to secure the authenticity of this letter by him taking the pen in his own hand. And he says several things there. Verse 22, if anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Now that's a strong verse, isn't it? Wait a second, Paul, you're saying like if you're not a part of our team, then a curse be on you. Well, I hope you remember the context and the, the full context of Paul's heart is expressed in 1 Corinthians. Remember Paul said early on, listen, I have desired to become all things to all people so that by some way I might win some to the gospel. Paul was leveraging his entire life for those who did not love God. The understanding I think here is that Paul is reminded as we see in John chapter 3 verse 18. We're familiar with John 3 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But in verse 18... It says, for the one who loves God is not condemned, but the one who does not love God already stands condemned before God because he has not believed in Jesus, the Son of God. There's an understanding there of not just the hope of the gospel that is found in giving your life to follow Jesus through belief, but it's the reality of unbelief for the one who chooses not to give their life to Christ. That you stand condemned in your sin. It's interesting here when Paul says this, The word that he uses here of the one be curse is the word anathema. It is just that. It's a recognition of of a curse. But he follows right after that with a word that sounds very familiar to that. He says anathema, but then he says maranatha. You may have heard that word before. And we see it translated here. Come, Lord Jesus. This This is Paul's heart cry. It was the heart cry of the early church. Maranatha, Lord, would you come? Would you come and rescue us from the sadness of this world? Would you come and take us into your presence for all of eternity and rescue us from the brokenness that we experience? Maranatha, 
God, would you come? For some right now today, that is the prayer of your heart. You're walking through the hardships of life. It's a difficulty just to get up in the morning. And Paul joins in and you say, Lord, would you just come? Would you come just as we heard about in chapter 15? And that you would come and in a twinkling of an eye, in a moment, we would be changed. Changed to be in his presence forever where there's no more weeping, no more pain, no more sorrow. He finishes out by simply asking that the grace of the Lord Jesus would be with them. And then we see again his heart, that my love would be with all of you in Christ Jesus. So we see as he wraps this up, it's, it's the affection that he has for this people, for these people. But before he wraps it up, as I said, two observations, two last things he wants them to remember. Let's go back to verse 13 and 14. Look at, let's look at the first one here. The first thing that he wants them to take away with is this is to live with conviction, courage, and compassion. To live with conviction, courage, and compassion. Look at me in verse 13 and 14. He says, be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. You can see here, just as I was saying, as you get ready to walk out of the door, you turn to that person, hey, just a couple of last things I want to make sure you remember. And it's in this moment, he gives what I call punchy imperatives, right? Imperatives, that's a call to action. It's something that you are to do, but it's punchy here. It's hard hitting. He's just giving them one after another. There's no commentary here, right? It's just simply this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And he lays this out for us. We see that it's a call to live with conviction, with courage, and compassion. It helps us understand the main idea that we're taking away today from this message is to understand that faithful Christians, that we should possess backbones of steel and hearts of love and hands of service. That's what he's going to leave the church at Corinth with. It's what the Spirit of God has for us today, that, that as the people of God, we would have backbones of steel, that we would live with conviction and courage, that we would have hearts of love, that we would do everything in love, and as we're going to see here in a moment, that we would have hands of service. Paul says here in verse 13 to be alert. To be alert. Oftentimes in the New Testament, even in the Gospels, we see Jesus referring to this idea of being alert. And it is doing so, thinking back of that idea of Maranatha, of the coming of the Lord, of his reappearing. Saying, be ready for it. Right? He, even Jesus said, I don't know the time or the hour, but we know that he is coming. And there's a call for us to live our life with that type of urgency and even in a sense that type of accountability that Christ is coming again. And so don't waste a moment, don't waste a day, don't waste a relationship. But I think what Paul is getting to here is not from the idea of Jesus reappearing, but it's the understanding of be alert of your surroundings. One scholar refers to it as be alert of the corrosive influence in your life. To understand that, as it tells us in 2 Timothy, sorry, not 2 Timothy, as it tells us in Thessalonians, the importance of, of being alert, Stand fast and hold firmly to the traditions that you were taught. The importance of being aware that, that Satan prowls around like a lion ready to devour. To understand, as Paul's had to deal with in this letter, the, the false teachers that exist that would desire to lead you astray. 
Over and over again in this letter, he's had to deal with issues where they have been influenced, not for the positive or the negative. And so he's saying, listen, in your life, in the way that you live your life, don't just go walking through it, just kind of seeing where the wind's going to push you, but to be alert. Be discerning of the relationships that you have. Be discerning of the teaching that you're sitting under. Being discerning of the influences that are happening in your life. But not just to be alert, he says here, to be to stand firm in the faith. This is the only qualifier that he gives in these imperatives, specifically in the faith. The second Thessalonians passage called them to be steadfast in the traditions you were taught. That's the idea of the faith, of the gospel. I'm not going to speak a lot to this because we did a couple of weeks ago, and if you weren't here for it, you can go back and watch it. But in chapter 15, verse 58, where he calls us to be immovable, right, that we hold the line. It's what we talk about when we talk about living with conviction. You know what you believe and why you believe it, and you don't allow the, uh, the, the whims of our culture, the influence of a friend, you don't allow those things to shape what you understand to be the truth about who God is, about who we are, about our need for the gospel, and what it means to live out the Christian life. You, you hold firm. You stay the line. We see that call for us to stand fast and to hold firm. The next one he says here is to be courageous. To be courageous. If you're familiar with the scriptures, you may recognize that he's going to say here, be courageous, but then also be strong. And oftentimes in the Bible, we see those two words linked together, to be strong and courageous. You may remember from the Old Testament when Joshua begins to lead the people of God, right? And there was that call to be strong and courageous, Moses. Be strong. For some of you, that's your life verse. You love that verse, right? Be strong and courageous. And Paul's giving him that same call here. Some of you, your translation may say to act like men. The idea there, and again, if you follow this letter, if you've been with us, you know how many times that Paul has referred to the people at Corinth, the church at Corinth, as being childish. Right? At times he's saying, listen, I wanted to teach you even deeper, harder truths, but you can't receive them because you don't have the maturity to understand it, to grasp it, or to live it out. So he's calling them here to act like men, to act like people of maturity, people of courage. People that when they hear the loud thunder outside in a storm, they don't crawl under the covers. Why? Because there's a maturity that the thunder might bark, but the thunder doesn't bite. And in the same way, he wants them to live out their faith, to live out this faith once and all delivered to the saints, to live it out with courage and with strength. Call to maturity, to live out what you say you believe, even when your coworker says, I think that's wrong. You don't back down. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, the call from Paul there to the church in Ephesus again, the the town in which he is writing this letter from Corinth, he tells them to be strengthened by the Lord, by the power of his might, or by his vast strength. Our strength to stand only comes from the strength that is supplied from him. So he's hitting all these punchy imperatives, and he's hitting to them individually. But then we see in verse 14, there's a change in the tense, and now he's going to talk to the corporate church. There's, there's one last thing he's going to give here to the corporate church, and it's in verse 14. Do everything in love. Do everything in love. 
He's saying that, that, that the nature of love, and it's so fitting for us today to read from 1 John, to understand and be reminded that God is love. It is the example for us. We are the recipients of that love. And that all that we do, whether it's taking a stand, whether it's ministering to people in Guatemala or in our neighborhoods, whatever, all that you do as a church, it is to be motivated by love. Remember, Paul's tried to clarify for this, them for this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak as humans or in an angelic tongue, but I do not love, it is like a noisy gong. It's a clanging symbol. He goes on to remind them what love is and what it is not. He's saying that has to be the nature of the church. The church should be known for how we radically love one another. The church should be known for how we radically love the people in our neighborhoods. The church should be known for how we radically love those that God brings into our life. Doesn't mean that we forfeit truth, but it means that all that we do is, is it is motivated by a willingness to sacrifice self for the good of others. Do everything in love. But here's the truth for Paul. The encouragement here to them in these last moments is not just about what they are to be, what they're to be motivated by, but it's really to how they are to to live, to work with their hands and their feet. And so we see here that faithful Christians are to have a backbone of steel, right, of conviction, of courage, to stand strong. Faithful Christians are to live with compassion, to do everything in love. But then we're going to see here this turn as he uses an example of some people in the church. And calls them to follow your faithful examples. To follow your faithful examples. Look at me in verse 15. Brothers and sisters, you know the household of Stephanus. They are the first fruits of Achaia. And have devoted themselves to serving the saints. I urge you also to submit to such people and to everyone who works and labors with them. I am delighted to have Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaeus present because these men have made up for your absence. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, recognize such people. This is where we see that the faithful Christian is to possess hands of service. And in these last things that he's given them, he's wanting them to understand that they are to serve, that they are to give their life physically in a way that benefits others. And he does it by pointing them to some faithful examples. Who are they? Well, you see the names here. Great names in 2023 to name your kids. Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. I don't know if I'm saying them right, but I'm saying them confidently. That's a little preacher trick for you. And some of you, someone out here, you're going to come up and say, you said that wrong. It's said this way. You dog. All right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Who are these people? Well, we know a little bit about Stephanus. In fact, you may not remember, but 36 weeks ago we talked about him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul actually references them. He says, listen, I didn't baptize all of you. But I did baptize some. In fact, I baptized the household of Stephanus. In fact, I think that's why he refers to him here, their household, as the first fruits. It goes back to that idea from chapter 15 of Christ's resurrection as the first fruits of the resurrection that was to come. Meaning what we saw in Jesus is a picture of a greater thing that is to come. In the same way, he's recognizing that what happened in Stephanus' household and his family is what has happened later. It's, it's a reference to all that has happened since then, the lives that have been changed. 
people believe that these men are probably the ones that have delivered this letter that, uh, that the Corinthian church wrote to Paul with all these questions. That's what we've been navigating through in chapter 7 through the end of the book. That it was probably these men that traveled to Ephesus bringing this letter to Paul saying, Paul, we're messed up. We got questions. Help us. But also it is these men that brought this letter back to Corinth from Paul. Others debate if it is these men in, in the call to submit to their leadership, if these are men that are serving in pastoral roles in the church. Some people believe that they are. Some people believe that they're not. I would lean towards saying that they're not. That These are simply faithful lay people, faithful church members. That they're, they're, they're not in a, in a title or position, an official position in the church. Why is that important? Because I know for some of us, you come every week and you get challenged by the preaching of the word and there's a desire in your heart to want to live out faith things in your life. But, but as you're thinking about your faith journey, you look to me because I'm the one delivering it. And you go, well, I mean, that's Michael. Like he has a seminary education and like it's his full-time job. So of course he can do it, but not me. And I love here that as Paul is going to point them to an example, he's not pointing to a pastor. He's pointing them to the people sitting in their life group. He's pointing to the people that they're dropping their kids off to for life group time or for, for treehouse, right? It's, it's those people. He's saying, I want you to look to, to these people that are doing this. It is fascinating to me that actually... About 15 to 20 years later, one of the early church fathers, a guy named Clement, would actually write a letter to Corinth and would actually mention Fortunatus in the letter. So Fortunatus was still being faithful to serve in the church at Corinth. And so as he looks at these examples of these three men, what does he call the church to do? To follow them. To follow them. How do we know that? Well, look at verse 16. He says, submit to each or submit to such people. You are to submit to them. You, you are to come under the example that they are setting for you. He says there in verse 18, therefore recognize such people. Acknowledge such people that they are living that way. Well, what way? Well, he gives us some hints here of how these three men were living out their faith. Why they were setting this example to follow. He says there in verse 15 that they have devoted themselves to serving the saints. That these lay people in the church that are just leading out, what is true about their life is that they are devoted to the saints. They have made a priority in their life, not just to be a part of the church, but to be a gift to the church by serving the church. Pastor named Skip Heitzig, he notes on this verse that if you have the, the old King James Version, some of you may have that today, the old King James Version of the Bible, the word devoted in the old King James, it uses the word addicted. That God had been so good to them and, and in their understanding of God's grace towards them and the gospel, it's almost as if they were addicted. They couldn't get enough of being a blessing to the church. To the extent of which he says here that we were to submit, they were to submit to them and, and, and look at what it says here. And to verse 16, and to everyone who works and labors with them. 
The example that it was a priority for them to serve and to be a blessing to others, but to do it in a way that exhibits hard work. I shared this with you a couple of weeks ago about to abound in the work of the Lord. That I think the New Testament writers would have a hard time understanding how a believer in Jesus Christ could be lazy when it comes to kingdom work. But for these men, and obviously for others here in the church, they were working, they were laboring, they were extending, expending themselves for kingdom work. And finally, we see here that in verse 18, he says, what an incredible compliment. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. What kind of example does he want the church to follow. He says, I want you to look to the men. I want you to look to the leaders in the church. I want you to look to the women in the church. I want you to look to those that the way in which they live their life, it's the gospel is revealed in the way that they're a blessing. They refresh your spirit. They're not driven by division. They're not driven by controversy. They're not driven by anger. They're not driven by bitterness. But the way in which they live their life, it is a refreshing thing. You know what I'm talking about, right? That person that you go get coffee with. Or maybe if you're smart, you get root beer with, right? And you sit with them and, and you get done and you just think, God, I wish I could do that every day. Because when you, when you sit with them, they, you can tell that, that the true desire of their heart is you. What's best for you? And they listen. And they give advice. And sometimes they don't say a word because they know you don't need a word, right? And, and you leave and your spirit is just refreshed. I think this week I got to go hang out with my friend Jack who's sitting right over there. Hey, Jack. Hey, bud. I got to go hang out with my friend Jack. And can I tell you, Jack, you refreshed my spirit this week. Did you know that, bud? You refreshed my spirit. Refresh my spirit. Help me to get up. Help me to continue to walk by faith. So he says to, to the church, he says, listen, this is, this is what I'm asking you to do. Don't look to your pastor and try to be him. You look to the people around you that are living out their faith, that are devoted to the body of Christ, that are walking with a Christ-like character, bearing the fruit of the Spirit and being a refreshment to others. You look to them and you follow them. Think about people in our church like Tessie Sellers. Many of you in here, you don't know that name, but a woman in our church that has been faithful year after year after year after year. A woman who last week said, Michael, I'm so excited. I'm getting to go to Greece this summer. And Michael, I'm excited with VBS being able to go back and to do it at our school campus because there's families there that need the hope of the gospel. Just faithful example. And some of us today, this is not from the word. This is from your pastor. You need to stop following the example, and you need to start being the example. It's time for you to stop being on the receiving end of what the church can do for you. And it's time for you to understand the call of the gospel and to be a part of the body of Christ. It's for you to lean in and to step up and say, I want to model. I want to lead in what it means to be devoted to the church, to work, to expend myself for the sake of the kingdom and to live in such a way that it is refreshing. Faithful Christians should possess backbones of steel, hearts of love, and hands of service.
And with that, we bring 1 Corinthians to a close. And today, here's what I want to encourage you with. When you go to lunch today, I want you to order a dessert. You just got the pastor's permission. If you're counting calories, not today. And that waiter, that waitress, they're going to say, well, is there a special occasion? You say, you absolutely better believe there's a special occasion. For 37 weeks, I've had to listen to this man say, 1 Corinthians this and 1 Corinthians that. But not anymore. Here's where my heart's at today. Paul gives a lot of last-minute instructions here. But to live that type of life, it only comes because Christ being at work in you. And for some of you today, I'm afraid that you would hear this message and you would say, I got to do better. I got to be a better person. I got to try harder. I need to come to church more. And although the motivation is right, the motivation is misdirected. Because if we were real honest with one another, you, you would have to say that, Michael, when I hear Paul say that there would be a curse on those that don't know the Lord in a sense, recognizing that without Jesus, we stand before God and we have no hope. The weight of our sin, the depth of our sin, the holiness of who he is, we have no chance before a holy God. We stand before him in this moment right now. If there's never been that moment in your life that you've repented of your sin and turned towards faith in Christ, right now the Bible says you stand before a holy, eternal God who spoke all things into existence and you stand before him guilty. But I want to remind you today, as 1 John 4.10 told us, that this is love, not that we love God but that God loves us who are condemned before him, who are guilty. Love is this, is that God loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sin. That he himself put our guilt on himself so that you could be forgiven of that sin and to be made into a right relationship with God, that he would come and live in you and to be your strength so that you could live with a backbone of steel and with a heart of love and hands of service. And my prayer today is that right now in this moment, for some of you, you would just say, I need him. I need to make that decision. I know that right now in this moment, I stand before God condemned and I don't like that. And today I'm ready to give my life, to place my trust and my faith in him and Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and give my life upon him. Some of you today, you need to make that decision right now before we leave. Some of you today, you need to respond from one of those punchy imperatives. You haven't been standing firm. You're not doing everything in love. You're motivated by personal gain. You're motivated by disappointment. You're motivated by frustration or bitterness. And he says, do it in love. Maybe today you need to start being that example. To have hands of service that are leading out, being a refreshing presence to others. Would you bow your heads with me today? As we take a moment here just to reflect on what the Spirit of God 
is doing in your hearts today in light of the preaching of God's word. I want to remind you back to what Woods Watson said a couple of weeks ago. The most important thing you can do right now at this moment is obey what God's telling you to do. For some, you feel the knock on your heart of God saying, it's time. It's time to turn your life over to him, to trust him and to live your life to follow him. For some, it's being obedient of recognizing those corrosive influences in your life right now. You got one foot on one side of the fence and one foot on the other and you're not being real alert. You're just letting life come at you and the Spirit of God is saying it's enough. It's time to recognize and call those things for what they are and to position yourself so that those things aren't having that impact and influence on your life. For others, maybe it's a reminder that you've been sitting on the bench reminded today of the faithful example that is said not by your pastor but by so many people that are serving you as you've been a part of this church on the receiving end and today you recognize God I got to get in the game I got to be doing my part I want to do my part I want to be a blessing I want you to use me in our church and in our community and in our world so father today we come to you we ask that you would help us to be obedient to whatever it is that you're calling us to do in light of this word We're thankful for this journey that we've been on through this book. We're grateful for how, Lord, you've used it to to save people. How you've done it to convict people. How you've used this word to encourage us, to challenge us. But Lord, I pray more than anything, in light of today's message, in light of 37 weeks full, Lord, that it stirred our hearts to want to live like you and for you more than any other time in our life. That we would pursue you with all that we are. So Father, whatever you're doing at this moment in our hearts, help us to be obedient. Don't let us justify. Don't let us sweep it under the rug, but may we be obedient to who you're calling us to be, knowing, God, that you know what's best for us. We entrust ourselves to you in Christ's name. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.